um, my question is, uh, when I experience another reality, my attention gets very difficult to hold to an original question I had in mind. That leads to branching into different, more and more interesting, but other questions. Uh, and, and eventually I forget my um, original question. And at the end, I get out of it empty, because even though I experienced a ride, I rarely can remember what was it. Just a feeling of, uh, I, I was constantly asking, please let me not forget this and this and this and, and at least this. Um, it feels like I had a lot of uh, revelations. Maybe it just feels important. I don't know, because I don't remember them at the end. But what's the use of it, if I can't remember almost nothing more than trying to remember it? I do try to hold, uh, also very important, I'm an artist, um, and um, I, uh, it's very important for me to share what I see. Um, so I'm trying to paint what I see, and, and, and uh, I see visions, and... Uh, it's hard for me to remember them. So this is my question, basically, how to remember at least one scene that I see out of all of them. Uh, Does it uh, make sense? What yes, what you're experiencing is, is pretty common. Um, people who are, you know, in the first stages of learning to interact in the larger consciousness system, um, I had similar kind of issues when I was first uh, starting with it, too. And when I say first starting, I don't mean necessarily the first week or two, but maybe the first three or four or five years, you know, where you're starting. And that will get better with experience. So it's a, it's more of a, of a starting problem than it is, you know, going to stay with you. What you do, what you're doing is correct, where you take, the information you've just gotten and you kind of repeat it, go over it in your mind and you may repeat it to yourself 10 times, 20 times. This is important. You know, I want to remember that. Da, 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 da. I want to remember this image. It's like this, you know, I have this reds over here and the yellow and it looked kind of like that. And you just keep repeating it over in your mind. And eventually you will get better and better at bringing it back. To the point that uh, you don't have to repeat it and you don't have it just sticks with you when you see it the first time but it takes a while the reason for that is that when you are in that larger consciousness system you're not functioning cognitively the same way you do when you're here you're in a different kind of state your brain is dealing with the information differently now that's a limitation of your brain which means it's a limitation of the rule set you know the brain basically it, provides constraints and you have to develop those you have to get those constraints released some and you do that just with practice so you're used to processing information in a certain way and when you're in the little and and that way it sticks but when you're in the law the uh, uh, a uh, altered state of consciousness in another reality frame you're processing it differently you're taking it in in a different way and your system just doesn't really grasp that yet, doesn't take hold of that yet. So what you're going to do is with practice, you're going to modify the constraints of your system. You're going to modify the constraints. You can say that the rule set places on your 
you know, defines your, your brain in a way that you can process this information and retain it. It just takes time. It's nothing that you're doing wrong. It's nothing that, that's not a technique other than just repeating it back to yourself. But it just takes time. Don't get frustrated with it. I know it's frustrating. I've done that many times when I was starting. You come back and you had something really awesome to tell, but suddenly it's not there anymore and you don't know what it is. But you really know that it was awesome. You just don't know what it is, and that's very frustrating. So just keep working at it, and uh, it will develop. But what I did is I just would repeat things. I'd say, this is an important thing for me to remember. And I'd say it over and over and again, and then maybe a minute or two later, I'd say it a few more times. I'd keep, keep it in my mind, and I found that then I was better at it, and eventually I didn't have to do that. I, I didn't have any trouble at all just keeping stuff uh, and bringing it back. So it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a processing issue, and it's the way your mind stores data. It's the way your brain works that provides constraints for what your consciousness can do. So your consciousness now is experiencing things, but the constraints that your brain puts on it is not allowing you to remember them. Okay, so the, the consciousness is constrained by the rule set through the physical, through the brain. So that's what's going on. So what happens is the mind, the mind leads, the body follows. So as you have more need for it, and as you keep kind of pushing yourself to bring that stuff back, eventually your physical system will change the constraints to allow you to do that more easily. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay. okay. So I'll ask, I'll ask the question from TJ West. Um, hi, Tom. I've had a hard time coming up with questions to ask you. After reading through MBT a couple of times, listening to so many workshops on YouTube, and then chatting with you extensively at TMI last summer, I feel that I have an Uncle Tom installed in my consciousness. Whenever I think of a question, it gets answered right away by the version of you that gets summoned up in my thought space. I also have this same kind of installed software going on with a couple of other mentor figures too that have also made a big impact on my growth at the being level as well. Can you expand on this concept a little more so I can maybe understand what kinds of processes are involved in this type of thing behind the scenes? Well... You know, for the, there's a couple of things that could be going on here. There's, there's more than one. One could be that you have the information in your mind, but it's, you accept that information more readily and give it credence more readily if it's in the form of one of your mentors speaking to you. So it could be a way that you talk to yourself that lets you pull these things out and say them and, uh, and accept them and deal with them more readily than if you just said, well, here's what I think. Because right after you say, here's what I think, your next thought is, yeah, but what do I know? You know, that may not be right. That's just what I think. So a good way to, to get around that is to say, oh, okay, I hear Tom Campbell's voice in my mind, and, and he says this. So it's, it's, it's partly a way to, for you to get around some of your fear of not necessarily being that knowledgeable. Another thing could be going on is you could be channeling these, uh, you know, these mentors, if you will, and you may just be tapping into that energy and getting a little download. If that is your intent, you can also do that. You can 
get this information uh, downloaded to you. And just because you are familiar enough with it, then it makes that link easy. So we talked earlier about channels, and we said that if the channel doesn't have the information in their mind, if they don't have the concepts, then it's very hard for them to put it into words and explain it. Well, if you do have the concepts real well, then it's easy for the channel to get the information. They don't have to struggle with it. It's just obvious. So you could be uh, channeling your mentors or you could just be using them as a more credible source than yourself. That way, escaping your own doubts about your own knowledge or a combination of both. The question from Sophia on understanding an energetic answer from the MBT forum. When in meditation, using the Monroe Gateway experience by Neural Beats, I'm able to ask questions and receive answers. At times, the answers from non-physical matter reality are in the form of pictures, words, or an understanding. However, when asking, who am I? Or who was I before coming into this physical experience? The answer comes back as an intense and blissful energy running through my body. This is an answer, but I'm wondering if there's a way to decode an energetic answer or a way to ask non-physical matter reality to communicate in a more understandable format. If not, how can I better understand these energetic answers? Well, the energetic answer is an answer that you can't manipulate with your intellect. Uh, it's an answer that you, you feel, you know, and it's probably the most uh, accurate answer. It's probably more accurate than the ones that you can deal with with your intellect. It just, it just is. And that sensation, if you get the vibration, you get the, the, the feeling of it, that's probably pretty accurately of what you were. In your in your uh, in your past, that was uh, a sense that what you were was consciousness. You were consciousness with thoughts that were interacting and making choices, and that's what you were. And it really doesn't matter how you were doing that or the character that you were impersonating. Uh, you know, the the uh, avatar that you were using to do that is really not very relevant. The real answer, the the big answer of, of who am I, is your consciousness. That you were, you know, Susie Smith or something is really not important. So you get the, you, that's what I say. It was probably the more right answer when you get those sorts of energetic answers. Um, the fact that you cannot process it with your intellect because it's not the things that you deal with with sense data. It's not like a picture. It's not a sound. You know, it's, it's, it's something that's outside the sense data. That, um, you know, that doesn't mean that, that you really need to decode it. It's like, well, I don't get the message. You do get the message. That is the message. You just have to not turn everything into sense data reports, into sight or sound or smell or touch. You have to say that much of your reality is none of those things. That's just your experience here is in terms of sight and sound and smell and touch. That's a physical input. And we translate, we uh, pattern match whatever we get into those things. But then there's an interpretation involved, which means they're not necessarily all that accurate. When you get the, the message directly, like I say, that's probably the more accurate message. And you should just accept that 
feel the fullness of it, kind of get into it as to, you know, what it's really about, and then just accept that as it is and not think that there's any more to it to decode. It's just kind of a whole thing by itself and really doesn't need decoding. That's, that's just it. Many of the things that we ask if they are, because inquiring egos would like to know, and they're not really information that's going to uh, help us out or help us grow or is really that pertinent to us. It's information for our intellect to, to, to mull over. Then a lot of times the system isn't really all that cooperative in giving us that. It'll give us, you know, it'll give us something because otherwise we keep nagging it, you know. If it, so it'll give us something to, to work on just to give us sit down be quiet a while but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's giving you something that's real meaningful because what you're asking is often not really a very significant question so if you're if the things you get back are often cloudy or fuzzy that may be because your question is kind of cloudy and fuzzy as far as its big picture content goes so you might think of that as as a possibility now i'm not saying that that's what you're experiencing, I'm just saying that's a possibility and talking to all the also the people that are going to be listening to this on YouTube, trying to give a very general answer as well as a specific answer to you. But uh, often that is the case. Get fuzzy things back if you send fuzzy things out. So what we did in a past life isn't um, particularly important. What's important is what are we, what are we doing in this one? <laughs> what can we learn and how can we get rid of fear and how can we get rid of that ego? Now there's a question that if you put that out there, maybe you'll get uh, something back. Trying to explore other other realms and other worlds may be growing in the sense that you, you get a better understanding of the big picture, but in itself, the only thing that's going to make you grow are the choices you make toward love and caring rather than toward fear and ego and belief. So the information you ask for that isn't going to help you get rid of a fear really isn't all that important from the viewpoint of the larger consciousness system. So if it thinks what you're asking is not really all that important, then it doesn't go to a lot of trouble to be really specific or helpful. All right, Tom, the next question is from Brian on the MBT forum. It's a rather long one, but I'm going to read it because it's all thought out and uh, it's quite detailed. I have a question for Tom related to experience packets and keeping the quality, the being level of consciousness from previous experiences. Tom, you indicate that it may take several experiences to make progress, but that we keep our entropy reduction gains as we evolve. If true, how is it that some people who appear highly evolved have symptoms of low quality of consciousness for a period of time? For instance, many mainstream spiritual teachers relate how they have had experiences that would not immediately seem consistent with a previously earned high quality of consciousness. Examples including paralyzed depression, substance abuse, destructive behaviors, all reported by some mainstream spiritual teachers who seem to have a genuinely high level of consciousness, yet these are seemingly inconsistent with their underlying quality of consciousness acquired in previous experience packets. In interpreting these observations using an MBT perspective, I could see how these high entropy states may be contrary 
customized challenges for these particular individuals in their personal experience packet. But I'm wondering if it could also be simply random rule set challenges they needed to overcome and not particularly important in what they contribute as teachers. Or perhaps it's something more beneficial to the larger consciousness system, such as the LCS sees a consciousness that is evolved and can handle some extra workload, so it offers some of its uh, own extra entropy and that uh, evolved consciousness agrees to help. Since I suspect you will not want to say too much uh, on these other teachers, perhaps something from your own experience. You indicated in a recent video that you were impatient in your youth. The context, I think, was driving. This didn't make much sense when I first heard you say it, since presumably you've learned to overcome the entropy associated with impatience in previous experience packets. So was the source of your impatience rule set? Did the larger consciousness system say, hey, if you go through life with a high quality of consciousness, with little or no anger, impatience, fear, etc., you won't relate as well? So we're giving you this little extra bit of additional baggage so you can experience what most others also experience. Um, did you say before this experience, hey, larger consciousness system, is there some extra entropy you want to give me to work on this time around? Your insights on this may provide some information on how our own entropy may be reduced more effectively as we discern where our focus and our effort may be best spent. <laughs> well, I'd like to say that that was the case, but that's generally not the case. That uh, okay. the, the larger consciousness system just gives you a, an extra hard problem to solve because you know you don't have much else to do, or you you um, need some extra practice. What you're seeing is that. People that you think are highly evolved consciousnesses are not necessarily as highly evolved as you think or as they think. The evolution of consciousness isn't a monolithic thing. Doesn't all, all the areas of your personality and of your being don't necessarily evolve at the same rate. You can have some parts of you that are much more evolved than others. So you may, you may be, um, doing very well in some areas and not doing so well in others. So that's one thing. And it could be the, the areas that you're doing very well are the areas that you show. It's the areas that, uh, you know, that are public and the areas that you, uh, you know, that you make sure are uh, up front. And the areas where you're not doing so well are the areas you tend to, you know, not show and areas that uh, people don't know much about. So that's one thing. So people aren't necessarily all um, highly evolved in every facet of their personality, which means they're just not as highly evolved as you or they might think. There's stuff in there, lessons to be learned, things to be struggled with that they just haven't gotten to the point of struggling with them yet. Maybe they've always just kind of kept it under the rug or in the background and now is the time for it to come out and they have to struggle with it. And while it was under the rug, nobody really noticed it was there. But they may not even have noticed it was there themselves. But now it's time to deal with it. So that's typically what's going on. People aren't as grown as we think we are. Other thing that, that could happen is that when you have, when you get to a position where you think, Wow, I'm really doing good here. I'm grown up. I, you know, got rid of most of all my fears and all my egos, and I'm just, you know, I won't need to come back here anymore, et cetera, et cetera. When you're feeling very uh, um, 
good about yourself in that kind of way, often the larger conscious system will take that opportunity to give you a good smack right between the eyes with a two before that wakes you up to, oh, I guess I'm not quite as done as I thought. I've got some serious things here. And it will introduce you to those problems because you weren't seeming to deal with them. You were just ignoring them or uh, covering them up or something. So the system will sometimes give you a little nudge that lands you right in the middle of something that you're struggling with. And that's just, uh, uh, it just helps you out that way. And by you uh, letting it be known that you're thinking you're almost done and finished and uh, don't have anything else to learn, you're just daring the system to find one of those things you need to learn and just put it in your face for you to deal with right then and there. It's just the way it, it works. So um, with my driving, yes, I would, um, I don't know how many years back, a decade or so ago, I guess, uh, um, maybe two decades ago. Certainly I was old enough to know better. Uh, I would get impatient with, uh, with the um, drivers around me who were either reckless or inept. You know, they get to be a little frustrating, particularly if you're me and always late. You know, I, I never get to where it is I'm supposed to be until at least 10 minutes after I was supposed to be there. So I'm always in a hurry. Um, and uh, then when you have to uh, slow down because of, uh, you know, people not uh, doing very well, then I would get a little frustrated with them and be impatient. But I let all that go a decade or so ago. And I'm not. Uh, now I just, if I'm late, I'm late. Yeah, that's the way it is, and uh, I'll just deal with that when I get to wherever I'm going and so on. But if, I'm, if, I, uh, if I see people who are having a hard time on the road, and, and a lot of people are frightened when they drive a car. They're just frightened. They don't want to go too fast. They, they tend to hit the brakes whenever something they don't understand happens. They're just the frightened drivers, and you have to give them a lot of empathy. You thought I was going to say give them a lot of room, you know, don't get too close. But no, you have to give them a lot of empathy. They're frightened. They have to drive. It's part of our reality that if you don't drive, you don't get, you know, you have to stay home. You don't get to do things you have to do. And these people need to be out there in that, in that traffic just like you do. They have places to go and be that are important to them. And they're frightened. And you need to have some empathy for that and figure that, well, that's okay. That's where they are. And, you know, however you can be helpful, give them a little extra room or, you know, be a little extra patient, um, whatever, then that's helping them deal with what they have to deal with. So I don't have that. I don't have those issues anymore, but I, I did long after I should have let them go because that uh, just was an area that I needed to grow up in. So that's true for a lot of people. And, um, it's a it's a mistake to think that you are that you are a highly evolved being with hardly anything else to learn. <laughs> I found there's always things to learn. There's always situations that will that will uh, show you where your lesson needs to be, the things you have to learn, and what you initially get might be at the you know elementary school level, and then you get like the junior high school level. And then you get the, you know, the, the high school level and then the college level and then the graduate level. But wherever you are, there's always a challenge at that appropriate level for you to deal with. Now, the, the level that you deal with that's a college level, 
you couldn't have dealt with it. You couldn't have handled it when you were in grade school. It just would have been over your head or you would have reacted badly. You just couldn't have dealt with it. Well, you evolve up to a certain point where now you can work on these lessons. And then you get those under your belt and you evolve up to a higher level where you can now work on these lessons. So I found that you never run out of lessons. There's always things to learn. It's just it's similar lessons, but they just go deeper. And uh, they require you to be more loving at the, at the being level. At a, at a deeper level. So I don't think we run out of lessons. And if you see people who you thought were very highly evolved, now they are, you know, they, you know, substance abuse or depressions or that kind of stuff. They've just run into something they've never dealt with before. And now's the time to deal with it. So don't think of people who are spiritually evolved as being saints or perfect or done with all their lessons. They've just done some things that they've maybe done very well with, and there's other things they have yet to learn. So we're all in that same boat. We've all got things to learn. We've all got some things that we have learned. We're all just different levels of our evolution. So it's a mistake to, to, uh, a mistake to uh, you know, think that because a person seems to be highly evolved, that they have no parts of their life that doesn't need some serious work. That's why we get those. And again, if that if that individual person began to give it a really high opinion of themselves, that's one of those things. That's one of those times where what we need to learn comes up close and personal soon soon thereafter. So uh, smugness will definitely bring on the next lesson, guaranteed. That's that's a shout for the system to give you something harder to do. And there's always something harder for you to do. Thanks, Tom. Um, Foad has a question for you. Um, basically, it is, uh, do you have an idea of how long you will stay in this physical matter reality? Are you willing to come back again? And will you bring all of your wisdom with you? How long will it take you to talk to others about your my big toe again? <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of detail there that uh, I haven't paid too much attention to, but I plan to be here for, for quite a while yet. Uh <laughs> I am uh, one of those people who have seen my own death and uh, experienced it and so on. So I kind of know where that is and about how old I'll be and where I'll be and what the circumstances are. Um, I don't really pay a whole lot of attention to it. It isn't, it isn't important uh, to me in any, any way. It doesn't affect my life or any of the choices I make. It's just available information if you want to progress the probable future that far. Uh, may not happen that way. It's just probable future. You see? So it isn't really too important. But, uh, yeah, I'll be here a bit yet. And, um, um, well, I, well, I come back, no doubt. No doubt I will be back in one way or another. There's always something to do. There's always some, somebody who needs some love. There's always somebody, something that you can help, some uh, contribution that you can make. Now, will it have anything to do with my big toe? Who knows? You know, and... Uh, I'll be wherever the system needs me most, I guess. Kind of depends on what's going on at that time. So I'm just having a good time, you know, so I don't expect to uh, to uh, leave anytime, anytime soon, and I don't expect that I'm going off to do other things in other reality frames. This, this frame has so much... This frame has so much work that needs to be done. There are so, we're so far away from where it is we need to be 
But the idea that uh, I'm just going to get out and disappear because let's let you guys figure it out for yourselves. You know, I figured it out, and you guys can figure it out for yourself. You know, that's not a very caring uh, attitude. Uh, now I'm sure that uh, whatever capacity is the system has that thinks I can serve best in, that's where I'll be, and that's where I want to be. I'm looking forward to it. All right. There's a question from Radagask on Psy Experiments from MBT Forum. On Psy Experiments, I close my eyes and roll a die. The result isn't rendered until I open my eyes. I can either ask the system what number is showing or try to influence the probability of a number of my choosing being rendered to me. Which option is better or easier to get a higher hit rate? I think Radagast is on his way to Vegas, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Um, well, you know, it's whatever method works best for you. It's I'd, I'd work all the methods that you know using all the tools that you know, and you can make up some tools. You know, you might, while you're in that position, actually reach in. Now, this is in your mind, in your consciousness. You may actually visualize yourself reaching down, picking up the die, turning it to the number that, you know, that you'd like to show up. If you want to see a six, then actually see yourself rotating to a six. That would just be a tool. If that tool works for you, if you're a very visual person, it might. Otherwise, you might just feel it, you know, being a six or whatever it is you want. You might just try different ways of doing it, whether you uh, uh, are trying to manipulate the way it falls or modify it. See, if you're the only one in the room, nobody knows what that die is. There's somebody else in the room standing there, and you roll the die and the die stops and you're still there with your eyes closed trying to make it come up to a certain number. Well, that's already been done. The other person in the room saw what number it is and that's it. Now, if anything, you're the one that has to come up with the number you want is the same number as the number that's on the die rather than the number die comes up with the number you want. So, but if you're the only one in the room, then that hasn't happened yet. Even though that die is sitting there and stopped rolling, there isn't any particular number up yet because it, the system hasn't had to render that number yet. So the die stop rolling and you can still put some energy into making it when you do open your eyes and look, being the number that you want it to be. See, even though the thing stopped rolling. So it's not like you have to, you have to get the number fixed before it stops rolling. You know, that's not the way it works. So there's all different ways that you can, that you can approach the problem and, each individual has a different kind of association with different tools. So whatever tools work for you, those are the ones you ought to use. Because if I tell you to use this tool, you know, that's maybe a tool that would work for me, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a tool that would work for you. So just practice. If you're on your way to Vegas, you just practice first. <laughs> and then when you get there and try to trick everybody, and you'll find that none of the things you practice will probably work very well. <laughs> <laughs> I was joking about Vegas, but <clears throat> it's just <laughs> seems funny. I, I, I was too. <laughs> um, William R. asks, um, what are your views on good parenting? A chapter in a nonfiction book I'm currently reading is discussing some interesting facts about the real influence that parents have on their children's personality and chances at succeeding in life. 
which is a very subjective thing, but let's stick with the generally accepted definition of success in our Western culture. According to the author and the research cited, parents have much less impact on their children's personality and outlook for the future than commonly accepted. The peers a kid hangs out with or interacts with seems to play a much bigger role in the shaping of his personality than on the plethora of critical decisions that parents usually take on their kid's behalf. What school to go to? what academic fields to pursue, what sports to do, what instrument to play. While Tom, having successfully raised several children, I would be very interested to hear Tom's view on what good parenting looks like in practice, and he could could he share some general principles and tips on that particular topic? Well, I would uh, disagree some with the, with the uh, results of the research he was talking about. If parents do have a large effect on their children, but probably not an effect that was measured. The effects that they have are more subtle. The effects that they have are more holistic. They're not so much goal-oriented as to, you know, what instrument they play or what college they go to or those kinds of things. Yes, peer relationships probably affect those kinds of, of decisions more than, than parents do. But what parents give to children is a sense of security in the world, a sense that they matter, a sense that they uh, they can uh, they can accomplish things, or the sense that they don't matter and they probably will never accomplish anything. You see, it's those kinds of very basic um, personality uh, attributes. Not so much what they choose to do or don't do, or whether they play the trumpet, you know, or the trombone or the piccolo. That's those things really aren't that important. Those those choices basically should be which whatever the child wants to play. That's the instrument they should play. They should play what appeals to them, what they like, what they find interesting, and maybe try two or three different instruments before they, they settle on one. What the parent provides is encouragement to play an instrument at all. Encouragement that, yeah, you could do it. There would be a lot, you know, a lot of value in that. You could go on band trips where everybody else was still in school taking tests. You know, you could, uh, you know, get a lot of enjoyment uh, from your mastery of this instrument. The uh, discipline it takes to learn an instrument would be a good learning thing. Now, not to you tell your child that, but you give them that sense of value in just the way you react to the idea of playing an instrument at all. You see, so it's not so much the the outcomes that uh, are the important, but it's the it's it's the inside stuff. It's the confidence. It's the attitudes that you build, and you do that not because of anything you do consciously. So whether that child has this sense of learning to be play an instrument, wow, that'd be neat. Well, they probably get that attitude because you feel that way. Wow, playing an instrument that would be neat. If you don't feel that way, if you'd say, ah, who cares? Yeah, if I want to play an instrument, I'll you know I'll buy the I'll buy the CD and you know and put it on my player if I want to listen to music. I don't I don't want to be bothered with the trouble of learning it. If you feel like that, then it's likely they'll feel like that. And it's not because you teach them and sit them down and say, well, here's the attitudes you need to have. They just pick it up from your behavior, from your from your body language, from the things you don't say as well as the things you do say. They pick it up from all sorts of little cues. 
that are totally unintentional on your part. So you are affecting your kids dramatically all sorts of ways that are fundamental. Not so much whether they choose a trumpet or a tuba or a violin. That's not the way you're going to affect them, but whether they care at all about a musical instrument, how that you affect them. So how do you raise your kids? You try to not do it entirely from the intellect, because the intellect really thinks it's a lot smarter than it is most of the time. And when it tries to, it tries to use its intellect to decide, well, we, we need to encourage this and discourage that and whatever, it's not necessarily right because our intellect doesn't see very big pictures. So the thing to do is get your own head straight first. Get rid of your own fear. Get rid of your ego. Get rid of your beliefs. And then interact with your children in however way comes natural. Just be natural and interact openly, honestly, straightforwardly with your children. Tell them how you feel, what you think, and always Give them lots of hugs and loves and, you know, and, uh, and a lot of the stuff that makes them feel like an important person. That they, they count. They matter. Well, just that you take the time to interact with them makes them see that they matter. You don't have to tell them you matter. The fact that you take the time to interact with them. Ask them about their day and then listen. And don't tell them how to fix it or how to do it better. You know, just listen. Telling them how to do it better means that they didn't do it right the first time. That's, you know, that's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to fix them. We're trying to just let them know we care because we do care. Now, if you have to let them, if you say, well, I should let them know I care, now it's all coming from the intellect. And they will know that you are not sincere. Because as soon as they start telling you about their day, your eyes will wander and you'll start thinking about something else because you're just pretending. You have to really care. You see, so that's why I say don't work from the intellect. You have to work just from getting rid of your fear, get rid of your ego and beliefs, and then just interact with your kids. Just love them, care for them. And if you think they need guidance, give them guidance. Um, don't try to run their life. They have to make decisions. They learn from mistakes just like you do. Got to give them room to make mistakes. Got to give them room to do things that are dysfunctional sometimes. Then pick them up at the end and, and – uh, don't uh, read them the riot act or tell them how foolish they were. Just, uh, you know, let them know it's a part of life. <laughs> You'll do better next time. You know, learn what you can learn from it. Point out some of their uh, options. A lot of times kids don't see all the options they have. They think that they just have to do this or that. And you can say, well, you really, there's four or five things here you could do. And you might say, well, if you do this, you know, here's a likely circumstance that'll happen and that and that and you can say all that and you say or oh, none of that stuff i said you know might be right but there it is it's uh, you know whatever you can use give them tools that they can use rather than give them answers that they that they should obey and that will help mostly with your children they have to grow up on their own but you can be a, a guiding light you know leading from the rear if you will rather than leading from the front it's not follow me but it's it's giving them the the resources and the, and the encouragement that they need for them to figure it out on their own. So that's the best thing with, to do with children. Just love them, care for them, and act naturally with them. Don't try to manipulate them. Not when they get older. You have to manipulate them when they're two or three. You know, you have to get them to go to sleep at night when they don't want to. And, you know, you have to go in and read them a story and pat them on the head and play nice music and 
oh, that's kind of manipulative to get them to go to sleep. But I mean, don't try to manipulate them when they're, they're eight or nine and 10 and 14 and 15 and that sort of thing. Just be straight with them and let them know that whatever it is they do, that you'll be there and you'll care for them just the same. And that they'll, from the things they do good, they'll, they'll learn. And from things they do not so good, they'll learn. That's the key. So it's that kind of hands-off, lots of encouragement, lots of uh, understanding, and lots of support without actually leading and trying to get them to do specific things. Let them choose. So that's Tom Campbell's advice on raising children uh, in a nutshell. Uh, raising, raising kids is a very significant thing in most people's lives because up until that time, you can live with a whole lot of ego and never notice it. Once you get kids, suddenly there's something else in your life that's you know gets in front of your own ego, takes takes a superior position to your own fulfillment and what you want. Now it's about the kids and what how you're going to raise them. Now you have responsibility that you've never had before. Your responsibility for raising a child is a lot of responsibility. And it can be sobering and makes a lot of people grow up. So it's a good, a good place to, to be in. Often parents make their mistakes by trying too hard. And uh, they just get in their, their own way and their, their kids' way. Because that's coming out of the intellect. B, that's better. Right. Ingeborg, did you have another question to ask Tom? Yes, I'm still struggling with virtual reality. <laughs> so I, I, uh, some minutes ago, I, I asked Tom, please, can you expand on the reality frame of the being level beyond virtual reality? And now I, as you described, the, you know, the, the, the uh, uh, raising up children and uh, caring for parents and so on. So this is, what I would feel to be an, an issue of the being level, or are they also part of virtual reality? <laughs> you know, I see I'm still <laughs> not uh, uh, not well oriented in this uh, uh, issue. <laughs> okay, um, I think you've probably just something that I said just ended up confusing you rather than helping you as we were having this discussion on virtual reality, but maybe I can untangle it. Uh, yes, of course, your kids' bodies are part of virtual reality. They have virtual bodies and virtual brains just like we do. But there are consciousness, and that consciousness is fundamental. And that consciousness is going to have to make choices. You know, those little kids have to make choices. And their choices, of course, are easier choices now. They get harder and harder and more meaningful with more, more uh, feedback as they get older. The older they get, at the time you get to be a adult, an adult, now you are held responsible for all of your choices. As a child, you're not. So, yes, they are consciousness-making choices. They are using a little virtual avatar body to to uh, make those choices and to grow up and to learn. So they're doing the same thing we're doing. They're just starting it at a, you know, they're just, they're just in the beginnings of this experience packet. We're somewhere in the middle of our experience packet. That's the, uh, 
that's the difference. Um, the, our kids or parents drive part of the virtual reality. The bodies are part of the virtual reality. But we're consciousness. So consciousness and virtual reality are two different things. Virtual reality is, a play, is, like, the, is like the world of Warcraft. It's a game you log on to to make choices. And children are logged into that same game from when, from when they first uh, become attached to that avatar. They're immersed in that experience. They don't have any other experience, just that experience. They come just with quality, not with experience. They don't have any experience at all, and then they get this avatar, and this avatar is born, and then they, they start making choices and gathering experience. And that's the total of their experience as far as they're concerned. It's just with that avatar. So that's the way, you know, that's the way we progress. Have I helped? Did I, did I untangle anything? Or is there still, a, there's still an issue that you're, that you're tripped up on? Yes, there's still a point left. You know, if I get data from NPMR, you know, not from the physical realm, mm -hmm. uh, so is this also virtual reality? Data from NPMR. Ah, yes, it is. All of those, all of those, uh, Different reality frames, say the transition frame where you wake up after you die, or the dream frame when you're dreaming, or the out-of-body frame, all of those frames are virtual reality frames. So any, any individuated unit of consciousness that is experiencing, which means that can communicate with you or send you data, any way interactive and experiencing things, making choices, they can choose whether to send you data or not, so they're making choices. If... If an individuated unit of cash is making choices, it's in a virtual reality. Uh, the virtual reality is required just to define the communication protocols. It's a rule set that defines how to communicate. So, yes, they're all coming from different virtual realities. And each virtual reality has its own rule set. So you are interacting with other beings in other virtual realities. Now, they're not all the virtual realities are not like this one. They don't all seem necessarily as physical as this one because our rule sets what i call a tight rule set it's got a lot of rules in it that define energy exchanges here so we have a lot of detail in our experience if you're in a dream frame uh, the reality frames a lot looser you can fly you can teleport you can do all kinds of things in a dream frame that you can't do here because the, the rule set doesn't disallow those things and if you're out of body then your rule sets even less now you're just basically communicating to other individuals. You are taking in information that's mostly unstructured or lightly structured, if you will, compared to highly structured here in this reality. So there's all kinds of virtual realities. They're not all like this one. But yes, anytime you're communicating with some other being, that being is in a virtual reality. But it may be one of him just floating in a void. And able to communicate. You know, there may not be much going on in his virtual reality. Or he may be in a community, uh, you know, involved with other people. It's almost anything's possible. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. I guess that wraps up the session. There's one question we have that I think we're going to postpone until next week. We're going to rewrite it a, a little bit. Um, but that, thank you very much, everyone. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, all of you.
I appreciate uh, all of you taking the time to be here. That's really, really nice. These things are very highly regarded on a, on a YouTube. A lot of people just really love these, uh, these fireside chats. So we're doing good work here. That lots and lots of people are going to learn things from it. Couldn't do it if we didn't all get together. So I appreciate all of you just being here and coming with your questions. And all the other people who aren't here in, in the picture but uh, did send in their questions. That's good. Please, anybody wants to put a question up here, go to the forum. Go to the uh, MBT forum, and there's a place there that you can put a question in. We'll be glad to, we'll be glad to answer them.